Reed and Eric. Eric and Reed. Chances are that even if you aren't a hardcore running fan, the duo of Eric Gillis and Reed Coolsap probably ring some bells for you. Both, at least in part, were driving forces behind the resurgence of marathoning in Canada beginning around 2010. Making national teams, putting down times that hadn't been seen in decades, consistently running in the 210, 211, 212 range, and that great run for 10th in the Rio Olympic Marathon by Eric caught a nation's attention and in turn, attracted more eyeballs to just what's happening in Guelph, Ontario, where both guys were training with the Speed River Group. Now since then, the group has seen more successes coming from fresh faces, and in all honesty, it's probably just as much the place to be for marathons in the Great White North as it's ever been. And this week, we're focusing on just what's happening with the Speed River Marathon Group. You're listening to Something in the Water, the story of the University of Guelph and Speed River track and field teams brought to you by Sidious Mag. The mythology of the marathon has long caught the imagination of those who have come across it, as a spectator or otherwise. The 42.2 kilometer race is a grueling feat, attracting some of the toughest athletes to take it on and can leave participants in an incoherent mess at the end. The marathon crew out of Guelph is probably one of the best known in the country with national champions, current and past, like Trevor Hoffbauer, Chris Shane, Eric Gillis, and former standout members like Rob Watson. On this week's episode, we're going to take a look at just what goes into the weeks and months of preparation leading up to those massive undertakings. We'll chat with the fastest active Canadian marathoner and Olympian, Reed Coolsat, a man who has essentially been in Guelph since the genesis of the Speed River program, about his training partners like Eric Gillis, the culture of the program, and just what's next for the event in Canada. As well, we'll meet up with Chris Duchesne, a runner who has accomplished a lot before joining the club, so it was a bit of a shock when she announced that she was joining the Speed River team. We find out why, as well, we talk about role modeling and legacy. Standout marathoner Robert Winslow shares some stories of his time in the Royal City, but first, Coach Dave Scott Thomas talks about the inception and evolution of the Speed River Marathon program. I would imagine that when most people think of Speed River and the Marathon Group, they think of Eric Gillis and Reed Coolsat, our Olympians, and, and most recently, Krista Duchesne, another Olympian, has joined our group. And with good reason. These are really talented athletes. In the case of Eric and Reed, they're Generation Zero. They're two of the founding athletes that helped to build our club. And they're wonderful human beings with uh, great community awareness and who are known and circulated around amongst the Canadian running community. As much as we've learned a lot from them and they've taught a lot of people, they also are the beneficiaries of a lot of hard-fought knowledge that we gained in the earlier years of our club. Our first marathoner was a young Mark Vollmer who was part of an early recruiting class and went on to help us win a bunch of CIS cross-country titles and was a multiple All-Canadian. We went up to Ottawa and he ran the Ottawa Marathon when he was a teenager. And then we had Leslie Carson, who medaled at uh, Francophone Games, and Christina Rohde after she won a U-Sport title, CIS title back in those days, uh, Taylor Murphy. Really, the 
athlete we owe the most credit to in terms of learning is Calvin Staples, who joined us and ran some good 10Ks and then was very open-minded and committed to the marathon and has an exploratory and trusting mindset. And we just did so much uh, training with him that evolved our basic principles to us. So shout out to Cal for, uh, for all the heavy lifting he did back in the day. We'd had an idea for a few years that we were going to migrate Reed and Eric towards the marathon, and we bumped the start date up for that for a year. Alan Brooks had come up with a plan with Athletics Canada to enable more marathoners to have an opportunity to race at the 2009 World Championships in Berlin. So Reed seemed fit enough to to manage the process at that time, and then we moved him there, uh, and that went well. And then Eric shortly thereafter debuted in Houston, which I believe is still the Canadian marathoning debut record. And then from there, we were off and rolling. We've never really bought into the notion that there's a massive wave coming in in Canadian marathoning at the front end. Uh, Robbie D was there for a while with uh, Dylan, still training and doing uh, is it mile to marathon out in Vancouver now. So there was a moment in time when uh, Krista and Lanny and that group of uh, guys were all rolling, where there was certainly more depth on the front end than there'd been for a while. It's become a bit challenging to backfill from there still nationally and so that leads us to where we are today. I'm Krista Duchesne. I live in Brantford, Ontario and I've been doing marathons for almost 16 years. I have three kids and I ran at the 2016 Olympics. Krista Duchesne has had one heck of a career. She's an Olympian, the second fastest female Canadian marathoner of all time, also making her mark blogging, doing public speaking, broadcasting, and working as a registered dietitian, all while being a mom. She's a new member of the club, so that's where we started, why she joined up with the group in the first place. I think that, that you shocked the Canadian running community when it was just beginning of last year. You announced that you would be leaving your longtime coach and you'd be joining the Speed River Track and Field Club. Looking back then, what, what did you see in the club? What made you make that jump? Well, I think first and foremost was Dave Scott Thomas and his expertise in coaching and the respect I had for him and, you know, the fact that he's got it perfected as both an art and a science. So I really felt like I needed to learn more and there was more to be learned. So that's what drew me to them. And um, Reed and Eric, you know, I've always respected them and their race plan. Usually they don't, you know, run around the world trying to, to win a bunch of prize money and race too much. So that's something that also drew me to the club. And, you know, I think it was neat to go back to Guelph, which is where I went to school and started running, but uh, went to hockey. So it was kind of neat to revisit that. So, you know, you mentioned Dave specifically. I'm kind of wondering, has it evolved? Have your thoughts on him evolved since then? Or was it exactly what you thought it would be? You know what? I think it's exactly what I thought it would be. When I had my uh, disappointing uh, collapsing experience at the World Championships in Russia, Dave was the one that was there. And, you know, I, I think I relate more to Dave as a parent just because I'm I'm so much older and he's got three kids and I have three kids. So I think that's what is unique about the relationship that I have with Dave. And um, so, yeah, it's it's really a neat thing and unique. So you have a bit of an interesting relationship with the club. I mean, a lot of people are they live in Guelph and, you know, they they'll they'll be out there on the roads or they'll be out there on the track and stuff. Obviously, with with your life circumstance, which you've alluded to, um, you know, that's that's not exactly a reality for you, um, you know, being able to be out there. 
perhaps you, you can enlighten us. What What is your relationship with the club? Are you getting a coaching plan from Dave or, or what's what's going on there? Uh, it's exactly what I want it to be and what I need it to be, where I will go to Guelph, you know, every once in a while to do key workouts. If Dave and I think that would be of benefit, I like to build a whole day where I'll get my anthropometrics done by Kyle. I'll maybe see Margot Mountjoy to go through blood work, see Brenda for physio and then do a workout. Um, but I, you know, I don't need to travel to Guelph to do the, the basic running and I'm still training mostly on my own, like I've done for years, but yeah, I certainly get the workouts from Dave every week and, um, it's just the quality of it is, is so amazing. It's exactly what I needed it to be. So I, I imagine that it's, it's not just, you know, sending, sending plans. I, I'm sure that there's, there's a lot of quality correspondence as well too. It's, it's funny. One of our listeners, uh, tweeted to me the other week saying, you know, the one thing I've gotten from this series is that Dave sends really, really good emails. Perhaps, you know, can you talk about that? Is, is that something that's very true? Yeah, it was neat because in the beginning, Dave has some um, terms or some words that I kind of had to learn and feel out for myself to know what those meant, like roll with it, or <laughs> I can't even think what some of those things are. But at first, you know, when I was uh, doing a workout, I kind of asked Trevor Hoffbauer, I think, and, you know, he was in the same boat as me coming from Calgary and just getting to know Dave. But the thing that's great with Dave is he gives you what you need. He'll give you more if you ask for more and he'll give you less if that's what you need. So he really responds well to the athlete and the relationship is great in that sense, but he can also give you a straight answer if that's what you need. If you're thinking that it's going to be um, something that you need to feel out yourself, but it's one of those things where he says, no, do this instead of that. I completely respect and admire that because I, I trust him completely. You know, through throughout the series, we've we've taken a look at uh, a lot of the camaraderie of the group, and you know, uh, everyone's out there cheering for everyone else. Have you have you experienced any of that? You know, since joining the team. Well, certainly I have, I guess more so from a social media perspective where, you know, we're retweeting and liking um, people in the progress and how they're doing as, as athletes and individuals. So I know Jen Lalonde is someone that I've, you know, kind of developed a relationship more through email and that kind of thing. But um, certainly it was neat um, for the few workouts that I've done there where I've been with the other women um it's definitely different because i feel anytime i i speak about my time in guelph it was you know back then when i went to school um but i i think that you know they you know look up to me when they know that um their degree is is nearing an end and they're looking for work or postgraduate that they kind of see you know what i went through to get to where i am with you know balancing a family life and a career and, and a running career you know, I, I think back to the the five thousand, ten thousand meter episode, and talking with Heather Patrick, who is is a very promising runner. Um, you know, some junior records, which I think have fallen now, but you know, still such a great, great runner. And you know, you were someone that that really stood out to her as someone that she she looks up to. You know, not only for your running, but able to balance you know life and running. And obviously, you have a very good handle on that. I mean. Well, I have to think that's that's kind of funny though because you know obviously you still see a lot of potential in, in your running career i mean like how, how does that feel to be both you know a, a mentor to people but also you know still have a lot of your running career ahead of you 
Yeah, it's it's definitely an honor. Uh, it keeps it exciting and um, it motivates you knowing that people are still looking up to you and seeing how you live your life day to day and showing that sometimes the balance is tough and there's nothing wrong with admitting that. Uh, but I think what's important is that, you know, there's life after being an athlete and, you know, even after the Olympics, I've been doing more public speaking, I'm still running and training, but it's important to know that you need other things in your life aside from running, uh, running, I'm definitely still passionate about it, but it's all I've ever known that I'm juggling multiple things as being a, a runner. You know, I, my first marathon was 328 before I had kids and then, you know, three kids later and I'm an hour faster, but that certainly wasn't easy, but the joy and the passion has to be there every day that you put your shoes on to go outside. And that is what has stayed with me every single day through this whole thing. I'm always motivated and passionate to run. You know, taking uh, a look at, at some of the stuff you do, um, not not only are you involved kind of indirectly with your work, but, you know, also uh, you've contributed to, to iRun quite a bit. Uh, you know, you are a blogger. Uh, you, you blog quite a bit. Um, you know, you do the public speaking. There's some in my area even. Uh, if you tune into the Scotia-Toronto Waterfront Marathon, you know, you're going to be a commentator. Is, is that something you, you consciously do where, where you're building this role, where, where you are a role model for people? Is that, is that something that goes on in, in your mind? I, I don't think I set out, um, you know, deliberately thinking that I'm doing these things for that reason, but I'm certainly aware of the impact I can make while I'm doing it. So I, I think um, before I post or before I retweet or make a comment, because yeah, I think that says a lot about you um, in terms of your character and who you are as a person. My faith is, is you know, who I am and what I'm about. I'm not afraid to write about that. And, you know, maybe it's not for everyone, but I think what's important is I'm honest about my life. And I know uh, there's a mom here who's a personal trainer, and she said one of the things that she appreciates most about me is my honesty in that when I came back um, after Lainey and I beat the Canadian record in 2013, one of the first things I did was clean a toilet. Like that's just the truth about my life. So um, I think it's neat to be a role model in the sense that, um, yeah, it's, it's an honor and I'm, I'm glad to have that. You know, I think maybe you're, you're getting to that point in your career now where we're, you'll look and, and say, well, maybe I, I won't be as competitive with my, with my running, but I, I still want to do it. You know, maybe taking taking a little bit of a step back from the competitive side, but you have all all those other ways that you're involved in running. Is, is that something that you want to continue on for, you know, indefinitely? For sure. I think I will always run. And I think Dina Castor is one who said that, she will probably never announce her retirement and that's probably going to be me. Now I did last year say that it might be the last time that I attempt to go as fast as I can. But I think, um, you know, even now that I've been with Dave for over a year, I think it was Reed who said it might take you a year to fully grasp and, you know, get into the rhythm of, of Dave and his coaching and just the whole program. And I think that I'm finding that to be true right now. So even though I'm continuing with it, with other things in life and I'm taking more risk and going skiing with my kids and, you know, maybe staying up a bit later, having a, a cookie more often than before, <laughs> I think I'm really enjoying that, that it's much more relaxed and I'm not like crossing every T and dotting every I and... 
I'm really enjoying the process of the training and the race itself. Uh, whatever happens, I'll certainly give it my all. But it's just that day to day that I'm really loving with with kind of balancing everything in perspective. So, you know, talking with Dave, he says your, your training is going, you know, really, really well right now. You uh, raced a couple a couple weeks ago at the at the Robbie Burns 8K. Um, I think. I think you put down a personal best at that race, did you not? No, no, that wasn't a personal best. It was, um, oh, I don't even remember what I ran. I'm I'm such a um, marathon pace racer. <laughs> so usually yeah. in January, if I can hit kind of close to marathon pace, then I know mm-hmm. I'm in good shape for a spring marathon because then, you know, I think that was an 8K and I'll be doing Chile, which is 21, and then the Bay. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how my fitness progresses. But I know with Dave, definitely the the quality of um, more marathon paced uh, workouts is really working well for me, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. But I I mean through all this, you, you know, you're you're training really well. Is it is it in your the back of your mind still that you're not at your peak fitness? Fitness, you weren't that far off of Lanny's record time. Do you think you could still go after it? Um, I don't know. Like the neat thing is. You know, I when I do my talks, I one of my messages is that you can still be second best and that can be your best. So, you know, I'm the second fastest Canadian and at first that stung and of course I wanted to be first, but it's kind of neat that it inspires people because most people aren't going to be first best, right? There's only one winner. So, I think that that message has really spoken uh, it's the volume of it has reached a lot of people. Um but I will never rule out anything like, sure, I can be old and fast and that's fine. So I think because I'm enjoying the training so much with Dave and it's going so well that um, I'm just kind of rolling with it, so to speak, <laughs> and using his terms and and seeing what will happen. So it's really exciting. This is the first um, full build that I'll be doing at sea level with with Dave because I went to Kenya last year. So that was different. You know, a lot of changes last year. So I'm really excited to see what will happen in the spring. Now with Boston being a hilly course, you know, it's going to be hard to gauge um, my time. It's not necessarily going to be a fast race, but um, it'll be a good indication to see how the full um, block went with him at sea level. You mentioned Boston. Obviously, that's that's coming up. Um, what else? What's what else is in the future of Chris Duchesne? Well, I don't think it's any surprise that the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon is my favorite fall marathon uh, for so many different reasons. It seems like in the last few years, I've either raced it or done the broadcast, which is a, a good plan B, but certainly not as fun as racing. So, you know, with it being national championships, um, I think that I will, you know, do that in the fall, likely. And then, you know, the the qualifying period for 2020 will be opening up and I'm going season by season, but really the fact that it's only a year from now, I'm getting a lot of people asking me, especially with Pyeongchang going on, are you going for the next Olympics? And I mean, hey, if I'm still running and enjoying it and doing well, sure, but I'm not, you know, every day thinking about that. I'm Robert Winslow. I'm a marathoner at Speed River Track and Field Club. I've run 219 in Rotterdam in 2015. So after I graduated from Stinger FX, I ended up moving to North York to go to chiropractic college um, and brought me closer to the family on my mum's side. So we'd, we'd have family gatherings in London and on our way back we'd be driving down the 401 and I would always see the sign to Guelph and in my head think that that's where all the fastest runners in Canada train. 
Um, and so I always thought it'd be cool to end up training there one day, but never actually thought that I would, I would be there. Um, until a friend of mine sort of put it in my head to go chase running fully and, and actually go all in. And then two, three years later, I end up in Guelph and my first practice, I show up and I look around and there's, I'm the only one that hasn't made a national team and everyone's out in team Canada gear and, and it was kind of surreal looking around and then one week goes by and they're just like everyone else. So you kind of drive by looking at the sign thing that there's, there actually is something in the water and then you get there and you think or you find out that it's just a bunch of guys that are there with one common goal and want to work hard and have fun doing it. So it's, uh, it's been a fun and exciting move and I don't know if I'd want to train anywhere else now. My favorite race would have to be Rotterdam in 2015 where I set my personal best in the marathon. Uh, the winter leading into the race was pretty harsh. Uh, it seemed like we had a string of days where uh, it was minus 30 if not colder uh, on most of the days we were working out so it was hard to truly tell where the fitness was at. Um, just with so many layers on it felt like you couldn't really move and couldn't really get into a true rhythm uh, when we were working out but uh, I'd set a personal best in the, in the half marathon so uh, I had a little bit of confidence going into the race. Um, and the goal was just to go under 220. Um, so we started the race off and we ended up going through the first half in 68.30. Uh, we had a pretty big group there, so I was feeling pretty comfortable and confident uh, getting into the second half. Uh, I felt pretty good up until 30K and then, uh, then the wind started to pick up. So I knew if I could just sort of keep it together for that last 12K, I'd have a pretty good, good result. Um, and... Once I got to that fin to the finish line, I didn't really expect to see a 219 there, um, or a 219 low. Um, so I was pretty excited with that result. And then to be in, in Europe with Dave, John, Reed, and Tristan that day and just sharing the experience with those guys uh, made it a little bit more special. So that would be my favorite race so far. My most memorable race would have to be the California Air National Marathon in 2016. Uh, not really memorable for the right reasons. Um, after the race, I ended up having to take two to three months off due to a stress fracture. So uh, it was memorable nonetheless, though. Uh, the training had been going really well going into the race. Uh, my goal was just to be aggressive and try to chase a PV as a point-to-point -point race so it wasn't going to count for anything if I had run fast so it was a good opportunity to get out there and and see if I could run fast and if I blew up I blew up so uh, the race went off I felt pretty good um, then by mile six my left foot I got a sharp pain in the foot and by uh, I didn't think anything of it by mile eight uh, the pain had gone away so it kind of ignored it um, but it must have changed my gait because by the end, the last 8K or so was probably the hardest 8K I've run uh, with both my calves cramping and then my quads. And then once my quads started to cramp, then my both arms went numb. So I ended up finishing the race uh, 2.19.47. So it was my second fastest marathon. But uh, a couple weeks later, I found out that that sharp pain ended up being a stress fracture. Uh, so it kept me out of training for about two, three months, uh, and I was forced to be on the, on the trainer. So it wasn't, uh, 
wasn't really memorable for the right reasons, but it was memorable nonetheless. Reed Coulson has been one of the prominent faces in the Canadian marathon running scene virtually since he took his first crack at the event just under a decade ago. He's the fastest active Canadian marathoner, ranking number two all time, and he's made the Olympics twice in the event, and you'd better believe he's not done yet. He's also an interesting case in that he's been with the river virtually since its inception. And that's how we began our conversation. Yeah, I did. I mean, when I showed up in 98, David showed, he just was there for one year. He started in 97. Um, but I didn't know much about running in 98. So all the stuff that I was learning and doing, um, I didn't know any better anyway. So um, it, it was really organic and it just evolved. And I can remember still in the summers of probably like summer 98, summer 99, finishing a track workout and then just getting the soccer ball out and playing a game of soccer as cool down. Um, we, we'd never do that anymore. You know, we, you know now it's drills and, uh, you know, getting our cool down and like easy jog and stuff like that. And um, yeah, we didn't do drills for, for a couple of years. Our Dave was running our core sessions that were, you know, pretty simple and um, yeah, but at the same time, I was learning a lot. I remember the first the first workout I showed up to at the University of Guelph, we, uh, we were doing a tempo run, and I'd only just come from my high school background, so I was just used to doing a small little run, sitting in a circle, doing stretches, and then, you know, doing the hard part. And um, I remember at the time, I had tearaway pants. They were kind of cool in the 90s, right? So uh, yeah, I had those on, and... Uh, I thought we were just going to do, you know, like a 10 minute run. And we were, you know, 20 minutes away from the university and, and Dave was doing the workout too. He was, he was quite fit then. Um, and then he was, I forget what he said, but it was just like, okay, now we're just doing tempo and it might've been, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of tempo. Uh, I remember the loop that we went around, um, and he picked a big square on purpose because there was always a bunch of people that came out at the beginning of the year that, um, like weren't really going to stick around and they didn't Dave didn't want them to get lost and be able to find their way home so yeah we did this big basically the Billy Taylor loop and I just remember like ripping my tearaways off and like throwing my shirt off to the side like oh wow it's on like we're like you know there's no stretching circle yeah so like it was just a big eye-opener for me in the beginning um coming from a, uh, just a high school program not really doing much club stuff um so everything seemed new I mean, there's there's stories about how you know every year you're taking you know tens of seconds off off your 5k PB uh, while you, while you were in Guelph, and uh, I think part of that's been mythologized over the over the years and stuff like that. But you know, does part of it come from that? You know, not coming in with a whole lot of knowledge, so I imagine the buy-in was a lot better. Uh, you know, with with Coach Dave, but also just not having some of those stimuluses that that weren't really common at the time, but him throwing them at you. Yeah, I mean, tempo workouts um, got me really fit. Uh, and I, you know, we hadn't really, I had never really done like serious tempo workouts. Um, and yeah, I was undertrained coming into University of Guelph, especially when you look at a full year. Um, I, I had never run, you know, for 10 months, 11 months of the year before. I was usually four months, two months of cross country and two months of track and field and the rest was skiing and skateboarding. Um, so even just running more, I was gonna improve and then getting more specific and then get into an environment where there was 
a lot of people who are better than me, um, a lot of people with more experience and who had lofty goals. Uh, just everything, you know, together, I uh, was able to, yeah, take, you know, I mean, I think from yeah, 98 to basically 2007, I pretty much took 10 or 15 seconds off on average of my, uh, my 5K time each year. You know, you were a really accomplished 5,000 meter runner. Uh, you went to FISU and you won a silver medal, if, I, if I'm yeah. not mistaken in that. And, uh, you know, taking a look at that, I'm sure people thought that you would, you know, you'd be the 5K guy for the rest of your career. So I guess it, it came as a lot as a big surprise uh, when, when you and Eric decided to make that switch over in 2009. Now, Dave kind of alludes to it at the beginning of the show, talking about how Alan Brooks played you know, a huge part in, in you guys making the switch over and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, let, what was some of the context going into that? What made you, you know, really buy into the switch? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, I always knew I would run the marathon, um, even like when I was younger, because I didn't have any speed. Um, so I, every time I moved up in distance, I got better. The reason actually why I stuck around the 5K and 10K as long as I did is because I was improving each year. Um, and so I was hungry to, you know, to get more. And then, uh, then as 2008 approached, I thought it was too risky to switch to the, uh, to the marathon. Um, in 2007, I had to be standards in both the 10K and the 5K. I was about, I think, 0 0.02 off of the 5K. So I was right there. Um, you know, I ended up getting injured in 2008. And then when I got back into running in 2009, my speed workouts were far from where I wanted them to be. And my tempo stuff was like, you know, pretty much where I had left off. Um, I'd done a lot of cross training. And I kind of had this idea in my head that I should do the marathon in 2009 and um, perhaps qualify for the world, world champs. And this was uh, less than two months before the Ottawa Marathon. I went to Dave's office and I, I pitched him this idea um, and the funny part is, is he had had the same idea, but was, wasn't sure how he would, like, you know, <laughs> like approach the subject with me. And I was the same way, we were both apprehensive. And, uh, then once we realized that we were both pitching the same idea to each other, we're like, all right, it's on. And I think it was about six weeks before the Ottawa marathon. And then we just decided, you know, let's yeah, try to run. Um, we, I, I, I think the uh, standard was 218, but. I thought I was gonna have to run about 216 to qualify for the for the world champs, and uh, it turned out that my my debut in Ottawa, which was 217.09, ended up qualifying for the world champs. So, uh, yeah, we kind of accomplished that goal, and that was the start of my marathon career. You know, I have to think probably after after your first marathon, you you might not have. I I don't know when when you really grabbed onto the title of being a marathoner. Do you remember like a specific moment when you're like, I guess I'm not the 5,000 guy anymore. I guess I'm a marathoner now. I, I think it was like, you know, the second I finished my first marathon <laughs> and, and not even so much in my head, but um, you just get more recognition in the marathon. Mm. Uh, I got a lot more press than I thought I would um, running 217.09. And I kept on saying, you know, I kept on saying to my training partners and like in my head, I'm like, I've run 13:21 and 27:56. Those are much better times. Like, hello, hello, uh -huh. you know. But um, you know, you go and run 13:21 in a small meet in Belgium. Uh, you know, track fans get it and they know what that means. But 
the general running public doesn't. Um, you know, 1321, 1421, 1521 gets the same reaction from people, you know, and 217 seemed to uh, create a bigger buzz than, than anything I had done before. So um, I kind of realized that, yeah, there's a lot, of, a, lot of a, a lot of attention in the marathon. And also after that first one, I thought, you know, if, I, if, I really, if I'm really able to train for the marathon, I'll be able to improve a lot. Um, 217 it was fine for my first one, but uh, you know I I, th I thought for sure I could get down to 213 214 um, really quickly, uh, and then 2010 um, I tried to do hey, I did a bit of a track season, uh, ended up getting injured, but uh, I really had my first full marathon build up before Scotia, Toronto. Um, in 2010 and then I ended up running 211.24 or 23 211.23 so um, yeah given you know a full full build-up like I was able to see a bit, a bit more of my potential. I want to talk a little bit about um, group dynamics because that Speed River group over the years has just had some of the biggest characters in, in Canadian running in my opinion uh, I mean you had Rob Watson running with you guys for a little bit while or for for a little while uh, you have John Mason now uh, Robert Winslow, I I think even people who don't follow the sport, you know, say on the track level, you know, will will know those names just because, like I said, they're they're real characters. What what's that group dynamic? You know, is it is it really encouraging and it makes you want to go to practice? Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, I was, you know, for yeah, for years. I mean, I still am, but like full time runner, um, and especially when workouts were at the end of the day. Um, and you kind of like on a workout day, you know, you're staying around, you're trying to save your energy, you know, not doing too much. And uh, um, I would look forward to workouts and not just the, you know, the, the grind, but also the warm up and the cool down. Um, you know, just like the laughs that we would have warming up and cooling down where it was hilarious. And yeah, right back, right back in the day from, you know, we had a, you know, like university was fun. And then even like right afterwards, and I, uh, I was I was fortunate. I always had when I was doing the five k. I always had um, a fast fifteen hundred meter guy to 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 get me going on the the quick stuff. So it was Rich Tremaine in the beginning, and then it was Jay Canton, and then Taylor Milne, um, and and those three guys really pulled me through, kind of from like two thousand to you know right to two thousand. Well, I mean Taylor was training like for a long time, but like at least like when I was focused on the five k, like right right to two thousand eight. Um, yeah, and those guys are like, you know, they're, they're funny guys. And uh, yeah, we'd have like 20, 20 guys or whatever on a, on, a, on a warm up and it was like, we were just laughing like half the time. So um, it really keeps things light. And, you know, if you're enjoying things and you got a smile on your face, um, you know, you, you can dig a little bit deeper too. You know, I also think of a guy like Eric Gillis, who is, is probably one of Canada's most consistent marathoners. Ever, I mean, the guy could probably run two eleven, fill in the blank here in his sleep. Does he bring that consistency to you know practices and, and workouts? Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, Eric. Eric. Uh, I mean, it was like. I mean, I don't train with him so much anymore now that he's out east. Um, you know, this is just in the last year. But as far as a consistent training partner, like uh, you know, I couldn't really ask for any, any better. Like, you know, when we would often start marathon buildups you know he would be like a little bit more fit than me and then we'd just be like kind of progressing and like 
never no one ever really leapfrogged the other guy like much it was it was like okay he'd have a little bit better workout i have a bit better workout or we'd often just you know run side by side and we would just you know progress our fitness um you know till race day and you know for him you know like our pbs are you know what, what's the difference like a second less than a second a kilometer like mm-hmm. so that's you know that's that's you know it's not much and that's uh you know if you're especially if you're doing like 10k reps or 5k or whatever it's it's like nothing, right? So um, yeah, it was amazing to have Eric as a partner, uh, training partner. All those years, we just uh, you know were able to to push each other and you know hit levels that we probably wouldn't have been able to do like solo. When when did you find out that he got tenth uh, place in in the Olympic marathon? Was it like as soon as he crossed the line? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would have. Yeah, I, I knew like pretty much right when I crossed the line. Um, yeah, that was that was an interesting race because um, I started off really slow and I kind of uh, I, I found Eric um, and then actually I found you know a few other guys I knew too like Callum Hawkins and um, some guys I knew like uh, Sondra Moen who's now like a 205 guy but <laughs> yeah so we were all like kind of running as a pack and we all caught the uh, the main pack together and then somewhere around 28k is kind of like when my like injuries were kind of coming back up. And Dave yelled at me, or maybe maybe it's been somebody else, um, somewhere like maybe around 35K that Eric was in like 15th or top 15 or something like that. So uh, um, yeah, I, I knew he was having a great one even while I was suffering the last 7K. So, um, and, and Eric is, uh, you know, he's, he, he, you know, he, he finishes marathon strong. Um, you know, he doesn't, even if he's not speeding up, he's, he doesn't, he doesn't lose much. And, and then in the Olympic marathon, if you're not slowing down much, you're going to pick off a lot of people. So I already knew he was top 15, 7k to go. So yeah, I knew he was, I knew he was going to have a good one. You know, with, with you and Eric, you know, doing consistently well and, uh, you know, there's, there's Dylan and, um, I guess, you know, Rob's been putting it, putting down good times, you know, as, as of a couple of years ago, there's been a lot of talk about the Canadian record. It's, it seems no one can run, you know, a marathon. None of the top guys can run a marathon without talk of it. That, that probably has to be frustrating, but do you think that you're also kind of to blame for it as well too? you know, bring almost like a bit of a resurgence or like a renewed interest in it, uh, nationally? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's totally to blame. Uh, also because I think like, you know, a few of those times I have flat out said that I'm trying to go for the record, you know, like, and I wasn't like so confident that I would ever say like, I'm going to get it. But, um, I think I remember at least three, probably four occasions where, like I straight up said, like I'm I'm going to go for the the Canadian record here, um, and I think the first time I said it, uh, it, yeah, like a lot of people, kind of like a lot of people, are like oh wow, this is this is big, this is cool, like and they, and they they paid attention, so you know it was, I I mean it was kind of a gimmick, but at the same time it, it really was what I was aiming for, so. You know, I wasn't trying to play it up. That was that was my goal, um, and I, I mean, I've run two ten three times, um, and I've gone out at Canadian record pace at least five at least five times. So yeah, I mean, it's, I wasn't blowing smoke when I said I was going to go for it, and then uh, yeah, then you know, there's other other guys who, who said they were going to go for it here or there, and um, 
it's the oldest record in the books by a lot now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't blame people for for wanting to see it go. Um, and you know, people a lot of people are probably like I, like I don't care who does it. I just want to see it go, kind of thing, right? Well, whether it's three of us or or a new crop of guys, you know, it's just it's it's time. Do you think that it's still like? You personally, do you think that it's still achievable, you know, in, in maybe your next couple of marathons? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, f- I guess it was only 15 months ago I ran 210. Um, and that was my, I think, my best marathon ever. I was the most focused ever. Um, and I was pretty much on pace through 35K, which is, you know, I, I could say about a lot of like yeah. a lot of people can say about a lot of marathons, right? Yeah. Um, but I really, I really did feel like it was within my grasp that day, uh, you know. And of course, like every time I don't make it, I can, like, you know, like there's some, sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I'm just, I just wasn't that fit, you know. And other times I'm like, you know, where I've experienced either running with people or I've experienced good weather, um, you know, my body feeling good like all these different combinations where, you know, I can pinpoint kind of where I lost pace and I can, oh, if, you know, if I just had guys to run with, you know, like maybe that would have, you know, made the difference. So, um, yeah, excuses, excuses, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it definitely like keeps the fire going too for me when I know that it's within my grasp and I can pinpoint why potentially I could achieve it in the future, you know, okay, like if this goes a bit better, it's achievable, and that and that's what motivates me, and that's what's motivated me for so long. That um, I like, I'll, I'll like if that's what I'm thinking, I'll say those things. And uh, whether I whether I have it right now or not, I mean, I'm I'm not in that kind of shape right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I had a marathon coming up in the next, I mean, I, I've I've Boston coming up, you know, April 16th. Um, there's still some weeks before that, so hopefully, uh, I mean, not that it's a record eligible course, but hopefully I could be in that kind of shape. But if I had a marathon coming up the next few weeks, I wouldn't make that, um, you know, I'd, I'd probably be aiming for like 213, 214. But um, whether I, I'm able to get in that shape in the fall, um, I guess I'll have to see like how Boston goes and kind of how my body's feeling. You know, going back to group dynamics for, for a little bit, uh, it's funny. I was talking to to Robert Winslow last night, and uh, and he was saying how you know he can. I mean, you're living in Hamilton now. I mean, a bunch of the guys are over in Kenya right now. Eric's on the East Coast, but you know, Rob was saying that that he could run a good workout, and and he'll get a text from yourself in Hamilton saying, "Hey, you know, great job," or he'll get a message from Kenya from you know John saying killer workout and stuff it just seems like such a like a a tight-knit sort of sort of thing and i don't know that you see it with a lot of track groups and stuff i mean what where's that bond come from you know and is it is it a real thing or is it to an outsider like me you know kind of romanticizing it oh you know what i think i mean we we do keep tabs on each other um especially through strava um and uh i mean eric's not really on strava so i'll just text him hey how's training going um Hopefully he answers me. Otherwise, we just like you know chat on the phone every once in a while. But um, I think you know we've the amount of hard kilometers that we've all run together, we've we've created that bond. So um, yeah, I mean John's been training with the, with our training group for a long time now, and, and Winslow for a few years, and you know Trevor's he's pretty new to the marathon group. Um, obviously just debuting in the fall, but you know he's you know I've 
yeah, I've already I've already put in some good miles with him too. So um, yeah, all these all these years, all these kilometers, uh, and I think the difference is when it's just you know say there's three, four, five of us, six of us, whatever, out for a workout, and we've just completed 30 plus k, and you know 15 to 20 of it was super hard. You do that a bunch of times, and yeah, you definitely create a bond, and and then you, yeah, you you try to you know encourage each other even if uh, you know you're not around uh, you know physically, but Strava's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, a good way to end uh, any interview is to talk about the future, but not just your future, but you know taking a look at the rest of the group. Like you mentioned, there's there's a couple fresher faces in there. There's uh, there's Rob to a certain extent, but there's there's also Trevor who's I would say very new to the to the marathoning scene. What what does the future look like? Yeah, it's good. Um, you know, Trevor's got his feet wet in the marathon already, which is great. Um, he had success in his first one, and then we have uh, you know some guys in the in the five k and ten k um, who will hopefully make the jump up um, as their training progresses too. So, I mean the I mean the, the one guy I'm thinking about right now is Evan Esselink. Um, because he ran a he ran a solid half marathon in Houston this year. He's going to the World Half Marathon champs, and you know now that he's trained for the half marathon, he's getting a bit more uh, like a bit more experience of these longer workouts. And yeah, hopefully you know he he starts to like those, and then sees that you know, the other marathon's really not that far off. And you know as he chases the 10k times, um, you know the the longer workout should help his 10k. And kind of transition up so yeah hopefully uh we get some more guys and i mean if you look i don't know kind of this off track but in 2012 when dylan eric and i made the olympics um it was kind of like okay where's the next crop of guys like they're they're coming like you guys are done for 2016 right and then you know eric and i still made it and now it's like you know we're look now we're two years away from 2020 mm-hmm. and we're still kind of like okay where's this next crop of guys under 215 you know like no one's no one's running 215 still so um, they're out there, um, and there's some guys who are hungry, and um, yeah, I hope I hope to see uh, some big performances in uh, 2018 and 2019. You've been listening to Something in the Water, the story of the University of Guelph and Speed River track and field teams, brought to you by Sidious Mag. For more great running podcast news, humor, and opinions, be sure to check out SidiousMag.com and on social media at Sidious Mag. Be sure to check out the teams involved on social media. They're on Twitter at Speed River and at Griffin Track, and on Instagram at Speed River TFC and at Griffin TF. If you like this podcast, be sure to check out my other track and field podcast, The Terminal Mile. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Be sure to tune in next week for the finale of Something in the Water. Mm-hmm.